Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 151st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we are bringing you a location from Galveston, Texas, Hotel Galvez. And we have a special guest joining us to talk about that, author Kathleen Maka. How are you doing, Kathleen? I'm great. How are you, ladies? We're fabulous. So this is a wonderful book. Thank you so much for sending it to us. We have really been enjoying reading it. You have a lot of locations in here. It's called Ghosts of Galveston. How many locations did you do? I think I narrowed it down to just over 40. (laughs) Just over 40. That's a haunted (laughs) island. (laughs) It's a very haunted island. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into talking about Hotel Galvez. I'm a local writer. I work for a magazine called uh, Galveston Monthly. I really specialize in more historic writings, but I've been a genealogist and a researcher of historic cemeteries for over 40 years. So I have a book out from last year called Galveston's Broadway Cemeteries about the historic cemeteries in Galveston. And I'm just fascinated for a little island. It's filled with history and some of it quite spooky, which, of course, draws me to it. Well, we're taffophiles, so you just made our little hearts go pitter-patter. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> There's another book I need to get. <laughs> Love cemeteries. It's fabulous. There's a district right on the main avenue of Galveston. And because of they've had to raise the island several times, the burials are three layers deep. Oh, my gosh. So we keep finding monuments to bring up. It's oh, pretty wow. fascinating. Wow. Yeah, here, it's, you have to be kind of careful about digging down too deep because you go too far and you're hitting the water. Yeah, here too. <laughs> I had a feeling. It's the same. Well, and that's the thing. We did find out when we were up in Boston, in the whole Boston area, a lot of times there were several layers of people buried, but it's because people who couldn't afford graves would just get buried in it, graves under other people's headstones. True, true. Or if it's a family plot, I I think the actual, most people think that People are buried six feet deep because that's just the phrase we throw out. But Mm -hmm. in a lot of states, the actual law is, I think there has to be 18 inches of ground cover. So if the first burial is really six feet deep, you can fit quite a few family members on top of each other. That's true. Wow. So we know why people get into history, but when you start talking about ghosts, you get people looking at you a little funny and you've actually written about it. So what got you interested in writing about the ghost side of history? I've always been interested in ghosts since I was a kid, but you do, you have to kind of meter 
when you talk to people about history, whether or not you bring up ghosts because you'll be looked at askance. But it's funny that in investigating some of the stories in this new book about the ghosts of Galveston Island, I had more people coming up to me saying, let me tell you what happened to me. I rarely run into anybody on the island that doesn't have a story of their own. So it was pretty amusing to work on. Wow, that's really cool to have that many people that are willing to share their stories as well. It is. (laughs) It is. And I actually interviewed a realtor the other day for a magazine article and asked him how hard it was to sell a haunted house because so many of the houses have histories. And he said, oh, it's a selling point on the island. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny when you think a few years ago, it was like, oh, it's haunted. Nobody wants it. Now it's like, I'll pay more for it. Yeah, it's like, I want to to live with a ghost. Right. I need a roommate. (laughs) Before we get into talking about the Hotel Galvez, we'd love to have you check out our website, historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did get a message in a comment over under Libsyn. We don't get a lot of comments over there, but this one came through there. Yeah, so this is from listener Lindsay. I've been listening since last October and found you when looking for a podcast to go with Halloween. I've enjoyed listening to you both, and what prompted me to comment finally is that you mentioned Metro State in the Bragg Road episode. I went to school there also and graduated in 2011. Metro became a university during my last year there. Now it is Metropolitan State University of Denver. I also never knew the Tivoli was haunted and wanted to let you know that it is a sort of student union for the Auraria campus. The movie theater is not there anymore, but has a food court and campus bookstore for the three schools that are on the Auraria campus. I always find your podcast interesting and end up having to Google some of the locations I've never heard of. Thank you for the effort and time you put into this podcast. Look forward to the next episode and learning about new, interesting places. So there you go, Denise. The college you went to is now a university. So can I say that I went to a university now, or do I still have to say I only got up to state college? I'd say you could say you went to a university now. Very cool. Bonus. Also, at the tail end of this episode, we're going to be bringing you the third installment of Tim Prassel's Spectral Edition. This is about a couple of elderly ghosts, so stay tuned for that. Again, remember, if you've joined the Spooktacular crew in the last week and a half, this episode is dropping while we were on our road trip, so we're going to be keeping a list, but it might be a little delayed you getting welcomed into the Spooktacular crew, but don't worry, you will get welcomed. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Joanne. Hello, Joanne. And John. Hey, John. History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. (laughs) 
The petrifying well of Nasborough is England's first visitor attraction. Sir Charles Slingby had bought the land where the well was located from King Charles I in 1630. The petrifying well was so well known at that time that the enterprising Slingby started charging people to visit the natural oddity. The earliest reference to the well dates back to 1538. King Henry VIII's antiquarian, John Leland, wrote at that time that the well was considered to have healing properties in its water, and people would shower in it, hoping for healing. People began leaving trinkets and gifts by the well and were astonished when these items would become petrified over time. This caused people to declare that the well was cursed by the devil. No matter what the water touched, it eventually turned to stone. The well also started taking on the look of a skull. Rather than rushing to the water for healing, people were afraid to go near it because they thought they would be turned to stone themselves. The cause behind the petrification is scientific. The well has been tested and the mineral content is extremely high. The water flowing over objects has an effect like what happens in the creation of stalactites and stalagmites. But while that process takes centuries to happen, the petrifying at the well at Nasborough takes as little as three to five months. So you could leave a teddy bear there today and in six months return to find it made of stone? And that certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. This Day in History On this day, September 28, in 1918, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the city of Philadelphia. The Spanish epidemic of 1918 would hit worldwide and reveal just how deadly influenza can be for humans. The origin of the flu is believed to be farm animals in the Midwest. The flu traveled through various animal populations and then mutated into a form that could live in humans. The flu spread slowly throughout the U.S. and then hopped to Europe aboard soldiers headed to World War I battlefields. For Philadelphia, it was the Liberty Loan Parade that gave the Spanish flu its foothold. The parade featured floats, bands, and soldiers marching up South Street. The crowds were thick as people came out to celebrate. By October 3rd, city officials had closed all schools, theaters, churches, and places of amusement. One of the largest clothing stores in the city, Starbridge and Clothier Department Store, established an emergency telephone switchboard to field calls about the flu and reports of death. Everyone fell ill from residents to city officials to service workers. The city had one morgue and it was overflowing with bodies. There were 500 bodies there when it was built to handle 36. Bodies were stacked in the hallway where they began to decompose. Convicts were ordered to dig graves and five other morgues were opened. When the Spanish flu was done wreaking havoc, 30 million worldwide had died. History Goes Bump Podcast.
Galveston Island is a beautiful setting on the Gulf side of the state of Texas, south of Houston. People flock here as a vacation destination. The island was originally settled by Native Americans, and then explorers came who set down roots. The city of Galveston was chartered in 1839, and the rich came to build their mansions along Broadway. The city grew to be one of the largest in Texas in the late 1800s. This would all change with the great storm that hit on September 8, 1900. Thousands were killed by the hurricane, and two-thirds of the businesses and homes were destroyed. Bodies were buried quickly wherever a spot could be found. The aftermath of the storm and the countless bodies buried beneath the island seem to have opened a portal into the afterlife. Galveston is quite haunted. Many locations on the island claim to have ghosts. Historical researcher and author Kathleen Shanahan Macca has just published Ghost of Galveston, and she's going to share the history and hauntings of Hotel Galvez. Well, we don't know anything about Galveston, so tell us a little bit about its history and why it's such a great place. Okay, well, it's a wonderful place. It's been a place to vacation for years. It was founded in 1839, and over the years, it's become, in the even in the 20s to the 50s, it was a big place for the celebrities to all come because it had gambling and illegal liquor, and nobody cared, and there were brothels, and nobody cared. <laughs> you kind of came to the island to misbehave. So all of the presidents of the time and celebrities, the Rat Pack used to hang out here and Mm. perform and go to all the big hotels. It was just an amazing amusement place. They had piers that went out over the water that had amusement parks on them and huge electric signs before that was a thing welcoming people to the Gulf Islands. But it's also seen its share of tragedy. There was a civil war battle fought here that many people think most of the civil war battles were a little bit further east in the south. But there was actually one fought here. Oh, and really? Yes. It was called the Battle of Galveston. How unique is that? Um, But there were victims both on both sides that are actually buried here. Uh, There were so many epidemics of yellow fever, obviously, because it is a port city. So there's a lot of death in the 30s. And that's actually when they established the city cemetery was because they used to bury people out on the sand dunes. And you, you can imagine with the movement of the sand dunes that didn't work too well. So they finally had to establish a city cemetery. So the city cemeteries themselves are really historic. They have wonderful old stones. But in September of 1900, there was a storm called the Great Storm. It was before we used the word hurricane. And over 6,000 people were killed. There was really no warning And because there were so many people killed, they had to do what they could to kind of dispose of the bodies. Some of them were buried where they were found, wherever they were found. Some were gathered in wagons and taken out in the Gulf on barges and dumped into the water. Unfortunately, three days later, they all washed back ashore. (laughs) So they brought them back into town and had funeral pyres throughout the city. You can imagine with people, there are people buried in people's yards that probably still haven't been found to this day because they were just buried wherever they were found, and the funeral pyres, and the loss of so much life. It's really no wonder that the island is so haunted. I was just going to say, based on you telling us that, I'm like, hmm, that seems to go hand in hand with this being a very haunted island. Yes. (laughs) Why wouldn't it be? Well, and I think that hurricane, wasn't that the deadliest one we've ever had in the U.S.? 
it still stands as the deadliest natural disaster in the U.S. Oh, and this is natural disaster. Wow, that's big. Wow. Yeah. Well, you imagine... It's impressive in a bad way. Yeah, there would be nowhere really to go if you're stuck on an island, and back then they didn't have the kind of warning systems that we have now. No, no. And after the hurricane, the people who stayed built a seawall and actually raised the island. They lifted all of the buildings, even the huge cathedral, the ones that were left, and filled in under them and raised them, you know, 8 to 12 feet in sections so that the island would now be higher. And that's one of the reasons the original cemeteries have layers of burials, because every time they did a raising, they would just resell the plot. Wow, that would have been a huge undertaking. You don't have cranes and stuff back then to do all that. Immense. And they actually have picture postcards and stereo views that you can find online and on eBay. You can kind of see the process, but it's hard to even imagine lifting an entire cathedral and filling under it, but yeah. they did it. They were very determined. Apparently, and, and just to even rebuild, you'd think a lot of people would be like, we lost that many people, we're out of here, this could happen again. And some people did. There were entire families that were wiped out. There were people that lost so many family members that they went ahead and left. But then there were those that decided to rebuild and people that were kind of attracted by basically a clean slate, that they were building this brand new, fabulous city almost from scratch. Well, and that brings us to, do you say it Hotel Galvez? You do. You okay. do. It's named after Bernardo de Galvez. Is that um, who the island the is named Spanish for, too? Explorer. It is. They built the hotel as part of the resurgence of Galveston and to tell people, look, we're recovering. It was a million-dollar hotel built in 1911, so you can imagine what that is in today's prices. It's pretty impressive. But, of course, being a hotel on a water, and of course, if you believe in ghosts, then you've probably heard that water kind of retains or attracts energy. And when you're on an island, you're surrounded by water. And the Galvez is right on the water. And it's a very haunted hotel. Everybody accepts it. The workers accept it. The visitors accept it. And they kind of coexist peacefully with them. When did the hotel open? The hotel opened in June of 1911. It was the biggest hotel built at the time. It was on the site of an older hotel that had actually burned right before the 1900 storm. But it had 275 rooms, which was pretty massive for the time. Yeah. They even, according to the local legend, 1915, they had another hurricane. And the guests at the Galvez drank champagne because the water was cut off. And they danced the night away. And one woman even gave birth to a baby and... <laughs> in one of the rooms, and that's where the pageant of pultritude started at the Hotel Galvez in 1920, and that's now known as the Miss Universe Contest. Oh, you're kidding. I had no idea. Nope. Nope. Not many people do. It's kind of an odd thing. It's a fun they, fact. Their bathing yeah. suits covered up much more back then. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's just, it just amazes me, because like I've heard of Galveston many, many times when you're just talking about Texas or you know, but I had no idea that it had so much, that it was so rich in history and stories and ghosts. So now I'm super, we've just, our wish list or our bucket list just grew in just the short time we've been talking to you. If so. Yes. If you're interested in history at all, you immediately feel it when you come across, across the causeway. It has one of the largest collections of intact Victorian buildings in the nation and they're beautiful homes. So many of them um, you can take tours of, and there's a home tour in the spring that you get kind of a peek inside some of the private ones, but it's, it's a beautiful place to visit. 
Well, apparently we're going to be going back to Texas more than once, Denise. Now we have to visit there. Well, and I have another (laughs) fun fact because something I know just from the things that I like to research of travel that we're doing. And I I was always like, why would you want to sail out of there? But Disney Cruise Line actually sails out of Galveston, Texas. I did it actually does. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely does. Several it, cruise lines do, but Disney's got it. <laughs> yep, Disney's over there because I noticed that because I'm like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why they went over there instead of just staying in Cape Canaveral. And so now, now I'm like, oh, good reason to go over and see Galveston and then catch one of our favorite cruises. There you go. So the hotel, do you know what it was built out of and who had it built? Um, actually, it was built by uh, several of the bigwigs in the city got together and raised the money to build the hotel as part of the resurgence of the city. I honestly don't know what it's built out of, but a lot of the buildings at the time were built out of solid concrete, and those are the ones that have existed so long. They've stayed through all the hurricanes and the, the strong winds. It's a beautiful, visually, hotel. It replaced the Beach Hotel, which was lost to a fire. And the city leaders basically got together and decided, well, we have to build another hotel. But then the 1900 storm hit. So it took them another 11 years to re-raise the funds, clear the land, and establish the hotel. But there were several deaths from the hurricane that had an impact on the land itself, even though there were no homes at the time. There was an orphanage just down the way on the water that lost all but three of the orphans and all of the nuns passed away. And one of the nuns, Sister Catherine, had tied nine of the orphans to herself trying to save them. And right where the Hotel Galvez is now is where their bodies were washed up. Oh, wow. So she actually stays in front of the hotel most times. And if there's a storm coming, that's usually when you see her. But the children have kind of free reign of the hotel and are always causing a little bit of excitement because they're acting just like kids do. And they think that Sister Catherine stays around because she's keeping an eye on the children who can't cross over because they're just they don't understand that they're not there anymore. So apparently people are seeing and hearing a nun and children running around. Yes, they see Sister Catherine. The children actually do just what children would do if they were bored. They're very they're fascinated with electronics and things that would be unknown to them at the time. They turn off and on TVs and lights. They slam doors. They giggle and run up and down the halls <laughs> and people you know, call the front desk and say, there are children running amok in the middle of the night, and they poke their head out the door, but they don't see anybody. And the front desk really doesn't flinch. They're, you know, they offer to investigate, but they're so used to all of the reports that they'll usually tell the guests what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) That's really neat that they are open to that and welcoming to it. It probably helps it to be a better experience than if you're trying to ignore it or tell people, no, this place isn't haunted. I I would think that would be very frustrating. (laughs) The most famous ghost at the Hotel Galvez is known as Audra, and she's known as the Lovelorn Bride. And she was staying at the Hotel Galvez, and her fiancé got called out to sea. He was a mariner. So every day she would climb up to the sixth floor, and there are four turrets on the top of the hotel. They used to be open to the Gulf breezes. So she would climb the ladder in one of the turrets, and watch over the Gulf waiting for his ship to return. And she did it day after day and eventually got the news that his ship had been lost. So she didn't believe that he could possibly be lost. So for several days, she kept watch and vigil 
but then eventually went into a fit of despair and hung herself in one of the turrets. But the really horrid part of it was he came home a few days later because he had been rescued by a passing ship. Oh, no. But she does still roam the halls. You can see Audra. She's very active, but she roams from her room, 501, down the hall and walks up the the direction of the turret and walks back down. But she's the most well-known, and I think most people know her story the best. Now, does she ever interact with people, or does she just pretty much make that journey? The only time she interacts with people is when they're in her room, and she doesn't always take kindly to it. Oh. I think she thinks people are being intrusive by being in her room. So she can cause them a little bit of trouble. She'll uh, mess with their phone, have their phone ring in the middle of the night. She'll uh, They use card keys now instead of real keys. And the card keys won't work. Lights will go off and on. There was one instance where she had supposedly died in 1955. And there was one instance when the person's card key just stopped working. So he took it down to the front desk and said, you know, there's something wrong with it. So they ran it through the reader to check it. And it came up expired 1955. Whoa. Oh, my God. That is a key card. Oh, my God. That's a key card. Wow. <laughs> Evidently, the reader doesn't say expired. That That's not one of the readings that normally comes up. Well, and for that year, I mean, there's no way in heck it would ever say a year like there that. There weren't card readers <laughs> no. in 1955. No, definitely not. Well, and here's the interesting thing that we've wondered on this show many times is ghosts interacting with technology that is not of their time, whether it's playing with the phones or here playing with a key card. It's like, mm-hmm. how, how do they do that? Well, you know, you, you do have to wonder, but when you start reading more about ghosts and paranormal experiences, a lot of it comes back to what is left of them is some sort of energy. Mm-hmm. So that's what they have to interact with. So if some of our little trinkets of today, our televisions, our lights, our key cards are electronic based or battery based, that would be the easiest thing for them to interact with. So it kind of makes sense. That's true. And it's definitely spooky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, you're being locked out of your room and then to have it say that it's a definite, I don't want you in here. Yes. All the ghosts seem friendly. One of the little children that hangs out, there used to be an ice cream parlor on the ground floor. And of course, it's now this fabulous spa for the guests. But there's a little girl who hangs out in front of it. And every once in a while, when somebody comes out the door, she'll whisper, ice cream. (laughs) Because she knows that's where she used to get ice cream. (laughs) She's probably wondering, where did the ice cream go? Why are you doing the facial thing? Exactly. They they go in to get all relaxed and coming out. Where's my ice cream? Like, I'm starting a new thing with myself, a new me. I'm going to go get spa treatments, watch what I eat. And then they're like, why do I crave ice cream every time I get a massage? (laughs) Exactly. You had mentioned the four turrets. They're a really unique part of the hotel. It's got a very unique design because you'd just be looking at it and it would look like a normal large hotel with a bunch of windows and stuff. But those four turrets make it look really unique right there in the center of it. It does. And the island doesn't seem that narrow until you get up high in any building and almost anywhere you are on the island. Once you get up several floors, you can see the Galvez even if it's on the opposite side of the island because it has such a unique silhouette and 
it's beautiful against the water. Can you go up in those turrets and look out at all, or are they off limits? You can't. They are actually blocked. I don't know how soon after Otter committed suicide they were blocked. But as I said, they used to be open because there didn't used to be air conditioning, and you're in Texas, you need mm-hmm. air conditioning. Mm-hmm. They would leave them open for the Gulf breezes. Mm-hmm. But I imagine about the time they installed air conditioning, which is probably the early 60s, is when they closed them off. But they they would be a hazard if they were open like that. But they sure are beautiful. Yeah, and you don't want to tempt people to jump or anything like that. <laughs> they don't need any more ghosts than they already have. They have enough to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Now, is that something that's common in Texas along the Gulf Coast there that to do the tourists? Because I know a lot of the different structures in different places have widow's walks which were exactly for what she was using the turrets for. Is that just, does mm-hmm. Texas do more with turrets like in their area or? That seems to actually be a very unique silhouette. I haven't seen anything else exactly similar to this. It's kind of a combination of some Moroccan styles and some other, th- they were very inventive, but it's gorgeous. And the top floor has huge Florida ceiling arched windows that you can stand and look out at the Gulf. It's really beautiful. And, and the property looks beautiful, too, with the flowers and the palm trees and everything. Yes, and the ballroom. There are still Victorian women that are sitting in the ballroom waiting, I guess, for the next dance. But it's right across the road, kind of catty corner from the Pleasure Pier where the Ferris wheels and everything are. And there was a famous pier right across from the Galvez called the Balinese Room. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was a very famous gambling spot, and that's where the Rat Pack hung out. And we don't like to use the word mobster in Galveston, but whatever other synonym you can think of. <laughs> Part of <laughs> the family. frequent those places. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it was quite an active area. Now, you mentioned in the book that Audra has plenty of company on the ghostly guest register. Is this a term that you used or do they actually keep a list of ghosts that they have there and reports and that kind of thing? That's just a term that I used. Almost everyone you talk to at the Galvez will tell you about Audra and they'll probably tell you about maybe one other one they've had an encounter with. But the more people you talk to, you kind of can narrow it down. It's like, oh, okay, there's the group of children and then there seem to be two girls that don't fit into the orphan category, but they were probably guests there. There are former workers there that still seem to be tidying up and they'll come in and straighten your room when (laughs) you're not there, but the hotel people haven't been in. They're still on duty. So everything seems to be very friendly. There's nothing malevolent at all at the hotel. You know, to have that many ghosts and be able to say that there's nothing malevolent there, that's pretty good because usually it seems like there's always that one. Doesn't it, though? It really does. And it's interesting that when I was doing the book, what I tried to do, and I kiddingly say I narrowed it down to just under 40, but or just over 40, but it's really true. When I started collecting them, I started out with probably 70 stories, and I thought, okay, now how can I narrow this down? And what I did was cross-reference them with newspaper accounts, historical accounts of events that actually happened, and only used ones that have some historical basis that are actually probably true and that I could cross-reference with an eyewitness account. So that's really saying something that that's about as much as I could narrow it down. It's fascinating. And like I said, you can talk to just about anybody in Galveston and they'll have a ghost story for you. Well, that's great because so many times when we're telling stories, it's like, 
Well, we've heard this story, but it's probably just an urban legend that's gotten widened out and things added to it. So it's really great when you can say this actually historically happened. Now, whether the nun and the children actually are haunting the place, you know, we always say we mm-hmm. leave it up to people to decide, but that really happened. So that really, there really is that possibility there. And we love it when there's that possibility. It's not just somebody saying, well, they have a lady in white here where you have a lady in mm-hmm. white everywhere. But could it be a legend or not? Who knows? But if you've got an actual historical story to go with it, it just makes it yeah, that much absolutely. more real. Absolutely. And there's, I had always heard the story about, they called him William Watson. Oh, you know, William Watson, he got killed and run over by the train. And I had already heard it, but I had never heard any details. And he was actually beheaded by a train. And his head went with the train and his body stayed behind, which was lovely. But I actually found all of the old newspaper accounts and the eyewitness accounts that I seemed to find of seeing his ghost in the old business district match frighteningly closely to the police description of what the body was wearing. Oh, wow. Which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. When you have stuff like that, it's like, wow. You know what makes it interesting that you mentioned (laughs) that is we have another show that hasn't come out yet. It will come out before this one. And we just talked to her two days ago. And it's about Mm -hmm. the Bragg Light Road that's there in Texas. Same kind of story. This is a conductor who got off the train and got decapitated somehow. (laughs) So we talked about that for a little while. Like, how can that happen? And now you just told us how. <laughs> it's, it's a, Not in it's a, any pleasant manner whatsoever. No. <laughs> it's a Texas thing. <laughs> Don't lose your head, right. Texas. Goodness. We went to Texas and lost our heads. We get rowdy down here. Things happen. <laughs> Is there any other ghosts that you wanted to touch on? The opposite side of the island from the Galvez is the old business district, which is called the Strand. It has beautiful historic buildings that have current day businesses on the bottom of them. The top of most of them are lofts, so people actually live in them and use them for storage. And you can go and just pick one, throw a coin and go in whichever one it lands near, and they'll tell you their ghost story. A lot of that has to do with after the 1900 storm, when they were loading all of those bodies onto the barges, they stored the dead in the ground floors of those buildings. And there are actually photos to prove it. So they think there are a lot of people that just kind of lost their way. And there's one building in particular that's a beautiful corner building with lovely gift shops and a restaurant downstairs now. But during the storm, the water was up to the second floor and there was a school teacher on the second floor and she stood out on the ledge and pulled bodies in from the water. And some were still living and some were dead. And they would put the dead to one side of the building and the living to the other side. And she nursed the ones that were still living for three days until she succumbed. And she is still in the building. She still wanders. They see her quite often. Wow. So did she get sick or? She got sick because there, you know, there wasn't enough clean water. There Uh. wasn't quite enough food. Disease became rampant, obviously, with the death and the destruction and the everything else that washed up and washed back out. She was a hero. She remained nameless, but everybody knows about the school teacher. And she and a little boy are still in that building. And the little boy loves to sneak in the ladies' room and slam the stall doors when somebody's <laughs> in the stall next to it just to, <laughs> for amusement. But the shops will tell you that they'll come in in the morning and things will be taken gently off the shelves and packed, stacked in the middle of the floor, hmm. or things will be rearranged after they've neatly redone their stock before they locked up at night. And they just kind of take it in stride because they know who it is. It's very neat. And those are all all these buildings that are down on the Strand, basically. 
Yes. When did the book come out? The book came out on September 12th, so just in time for Halloween. And like you said, it's got a ton of locations in it. It's really well written. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like a little bit of history and a little bit of ghost story, that's what I tried to blend in. And hopefully everybody will come and try to have their own ghost experience in Galveston. Well, I've really enjoyed the book as well, just because I I like the easy way that it flows, that it's not choppy, that it's very easy to follow. And I really like your style of writing. Thank you. I appreciate that. So what are you working on next? Actually, I just started a book about the Galvez Hotel and its history, and that will be coming out from History Press as well. Well, that sounds fabulous. And we are looking forward to heading down there. I'm sure they have a ghost tour in Galveston. They have great ghost tours. There's a gentleman named Dash Beardsley, and he and his crew have tours all over the island. They have a strand tour that's wonderful, that's kind of age-appropriate for everybody. They have a cemetery tour. They have several different ones. One of them is a secret societies tour, but they, they do a really good job. They've done their research, they've done their homework, and they're very entertaining. It sounds like fun. Secret societies, too. Wow. <laughs> I know, so, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just going to ask, since it is a port city, do you have pirate tales as well? There are a lot of pirate tales. Jean Lafitte actually lived on Galveston Island. And there are a lot of people think that the ruins of Maison Rouge, his home, are still on the water, kind of at the end of the strand, just a couple of blocks down from the strand. But it was a home that was built just after he left because he burnt his home. And then a gentleman came in and built a replica on the property. So the ruins of that house are still on the waterfront and you can see them, but it would have been what his ruins looked like. And then on the other end of the island, he had an encampment with his pirates. So there are definitely lots of pirate tales too. Oh, fun, fun, fun. Love it. So where can people find your books and find out more about you? My books are available on Amazon. So that's the easiest place to find them. And the latest one is called Ghosts of Galveston. The one before that is Galveston's Broadway Cemeteries. They can find me on Facebook under author Kathleen Shanahan Macca or Instagram Kathleen Macca or Twitter at author Macca. I'm everywhere. Apparently so. We love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love that you've been listening to the show and thank you so much for sending the book. And I mean, there's so many locations in here. I have no doubt that we'll have you back on to talk about somewhere else again. Well, thanks. I'll look forward to it. And I really enjoy your show. Thanks for providing this great place that people can discuss their ghost stories and not be afraid to talk out loud. I know, and it just makes history that much more fascinating and interesting, I think, is to talk about some of that other stuff, too. Absolutely. It's a good way to get the kids into it. It's what got me into it. Yeah, well, and even just (laughs) wanting to travel and see things, because literally every time we do a location, especially if we get to talk to somebody like yourself, I'm instantly like going, in fact, I've already looked up rates on the the hotel, and I've already looked up (laughs) cruising itineraries, and I'm like, okay, so if we go for four days and tour the island, we could stay there, and then we could catch this cruise. Yeah, so I've already got That's the it. itinerary planned as we were sitting here talking and discussing ghosts. So we're we're set. That's great. Well, we'll look forward to your visit. <laughs> All right, Kathleen, have a great evening. Thanks. You too. I appreciate you calling. All right. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. 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 Are the spirits of the tragic victims of the storm still walking the island? Could Galveston be one of the most haunted islands in the world? Is the Hotel Galvez haunted? That is is for you to decide.
Well, that was great having Kathleen on. I love having people who know an area really well like that. I agree. That was very, very cool. And it is a really good book. So check it out if you get a chance. And we do have a link to Kathleen's author page at Amazon up in the show notes as well so that you can order either of the books that she has out. On our next episode, we're going to be celebrating our second year anniversary, Denise. Can you believe we've been doing this for two years? So we're heading into the terrible twos. I know. Look out next year, guys. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. It will launch our October, and I believe we're going to be bringing you 10 or 11 episodes. We do an episode every other day, the week of Halloween. And usually we try to pull out some of our more creepier locations for that or topics. So that should be a lot of fun. That will be dropping. We actually have it loaded up again while we're gone. So I put it in to drop on September 30th. So you'll get an early listen to it. We also will be announcing on that show and reading stories from our Flash Fiction Contest and our top three winners will be announced at that time. Yes, and just a fun fact for those Disney lovers out there is October 1st, besides being our two-year anniversary, is also going to be the 45th anniversary of Disney's Polynesian Village Resort and the Magic Kingdom, along with Disney's Contemporary Resort and Fort Wilderness Resort and Campgrounds. All right, well, here is the third installment of Tim Prossel's Spectral Edition. Welcome to Spectral Edition. I'm Tim Prossel. Often the ghost reports that I've dug up when a history of the living person who became the ghost is provided at all, it's somebody who was a victim of murder, maybe suicide, some kind of premature or traumatic death, so you begin to understand why a ghost might linger. This makes today's two articles rare in that the ghost in life lived to a ripe old age and died at home, which of course in the late 1800s and early 1900s would have been pretty typical. However, in the first article, we are given a reason why the ghost is lingering. This was published in the Washington Bee on December 13th of 1902. The headline is, Ghost Rules House, Queer Doings in Alleged Haunted Residence Caused Excitement at Dunkirk, New York. Residents in the Fourth Ward of Dunkirk, New York are greatly excited over an alleged haunted house in Lincoln Avenue. The house in which the ghosts are said to hold sway is a small, gloomy, vine-covered cottage resting back of a street almost hidden from view by deep shrubbery. It was the home of an aged woman who was found lying on the floor one morning dead. For years she had led the life of a recluse, and her every action had been shrouded in mystery. After her death, considerable money was found secreted about the place. Within the past two years, over a dozen families have lived in the house. None remained longer than two weeks. A family who had moved into the house Monday last moved out on Thursday. They stated that continually, about midnight, the sound of footsteps, groans, blood-curdling chuckles of laughter, and the clanking of chains could be heard throughout the house. The lighted lamp on a number of occasions was blown out without any apparent cause, and several times the bedclothes were forcibly pulled from the occupants of the bed. The old woman during her life never allowed a person to enter the house. The opinion is that she has come back to the world to keep people out of the house, which she guarded so jealously before her death. 
So there we're given a pretty good motivation for the ghost, the spirit of the woman, to come back and try to keep people out of her house. With this next one, we just have what seems to be a very nice man who passed away and wanted to pay a visit. You'll see what I mean. It's from the Dow's Daily Chronicle, a newspaper from Oregon, and it was published on October 3rd of 1891. The title is Mr. Quinn's Ghost. John Quinn, an old man, died in his residence on Bowman Avenue, Danville, Illinois, about two weeks ago. After his death, the family vacated the house, which was soon occupied by another family. Yesterday afternoon, after locking all the doors, the family left for a few hours' visit with some friends in another part of the city. On their return home about dusk, they were startled to see Mr. Quinn, dressed in his ordinary wearing apparel, walking up and down the floor of his former sleeping room. Several neighbors were called to witness the strange spectacle, among whom were Wilbur Walker, Mary Wilmer, and Mrs. Henry Kirby. Mr. Quinn's ghost came twice to the window, bowed to the people gathered in the street, and then sat down in the window. Suddenly every trace of him disappeared. Mr. Sprett and Miss Wilmer mustered up courage enough to enter the house and found that not a lamp in the house would burn. Lights were obtained from the neighbors and search was made throughout the house. Everything was found securely locked and there was no trace of anyone having entered. The neighborhood is greatly excited over the occurrence. I guess if you're gonna be haunted, a ghost that bows to greet you is probably the ghost you want. You've been listening to Spectral Edition. I'm Tim Prossel. I have close to 300 of these ghost reports, and I post one each Wednesday on my website, The Merry Ghost Hunter. At the same place, you can listen to previously released audio versions of Spectral Edition. Once again, that's The Merry Ghost Hunter. I hope you stop by. Thanks so much, Tim. I just love those, Denise. They're great. We have a review to share from iTunes. This is from A. Foltz, five stars. Just a fantastic podcast. I absolutely love this podcast. The two hosts, Diane and Denise, are just the sweetest, creepiest ladies to listen to. The production value is so great. The stories are so well-researched, and the creep factor is great. This is better than summer camp horror stories. I love how they both take it all serious and lighthearted at the same time. Well, thank you so much for that review. We really appreciate it. We want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Joanne Lum. Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.